Good morning, church. Hey, it's so good to see you guys. Y'all are more awake than the first service. Hey, my name is Archie, and I have the privilege of serving here on our team at Stone Point, and it's a joy and a privilege to, to share in God's Word with you guys this morning. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, James reminds us of just the power of our tongue, that we could either speak life or we can speak death um, to other people in different situations in our life, and the way that we use our tongue really matters. Um, I'm reminded of a story of someone that came up to John Wesley and said that they believed that their God-given talent was to speak their mind. And John Wesley reminded them to say that, I don't think God would mind if you buried that talent. <laughs> it's easy for us to have thoughts that we feel like we need to express, isn't it? But there is such a thing as an unexpressed thought. And today, as we talk about how much we talk, how much do you think that um, you talk? Like, have you ever thought about the statistics of that? So an average person's 20,000 words a day, which equals two hours and 23 minutes, roughly, of the time that we're awake during the day that we speak talking, which comes out to be in about one-fifth of our lives. And so if we, on average, speak one-fifth of our lives with words out of our mouth, don't you think it's important that we use our words wisely in a way that honors the Lord? I agree. And today we're going to dive into this text and be reminded of the importance of that. But before we do, I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, uh, this text, and just not only what it means to me, Father, but I pray that it is useful for building up the body this morning. I pray that you speak through me. Uh, may I make much of you and less of me. And uh, may your words um, just resonate in our hearts to uh, not only just to hear today, but may we go out and do them. Uh, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, before we read verse 1, I can't help but to reflect on James chapter 1, verse 26, uh, where he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. goes a lot with be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Uh, how we can say that we're religious, but our words don't match our belief. And as we dive into verse 1 of chapter 3 here, James inserts this passage on teachers. And it's really neat how he does this because um, we're going to read and I'll explain. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now that pretty much makes sense for itself, doesn't it? So if you're teaching, not just God's word, but teaching anybody anything, you can either cause somebody to, to learn something that's useful or you could cause them to be led astray, correct? Now think about it in the practical sense of teaching God's word. How easy is it for to lead somebody astray teaching God's word if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing? And you're going to have a great following um, in your time of life. And so it's like, are you going to really pay attention to what you're teaching? Because you're going to be judged with greater strictness. James is warning them. He also says not many of you. And so remember, this is the first letter written to the early church. And so when they see this, not many of you, I can only believe that there were several people that were interested in teaching God's word. And James is saying, hey, be careful because not many of you need to be doing this because you will be judged with greater strictness. Also, they exercise great influence. Teachers share God's truth and at least... We have to pay attention that they have to practice what they're teaching, right? 
And so you don't want to be hypocritical. And so as a teacher, you can't say one thing and do another because not only you will be judged with greater strictness, but people are truly listening and truly watching what you are doing. So James kind of inserts that teaching thing in there, which I think is so important because we do... um, when somebody's teaching God's word, like we will all stand before God and give an account for what we've done in this body. And so when you're teaching God's word, we have to be very clear and very pure and very true on what we are saying. Uh, verse two, he says, for we are all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect man, able to also to bridle his whole body. I love how James is including himself in these passages. He's saying we. He's not saying you, he's saying we. So he's including himself, even saying, hey, I stumble in many ways too, is what James is saying. Because we're reminded that we are all sinners in need of a savior and that we all fall short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect. And so when he says the word perfect here, that's teleos. That's a word meaning complete and mature. It's not meaning that you're sinless. It just means you're complete and mature. And he's just driving the point home here that teachers have to really watch what they're doing, but also we all have to watch what we're doing because we all stumble in many ways. Focusing on the teacher here for a few more moments, if you guys want to flip over to Matthew chapter 15, this isn't going to be on the screen, so I'm asking you to, if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me so you can see what's happening here. You have an example of bad teachers. You have a conversation with Jesus and the Pharisees, and then you have a conversation with Jesus and his disciples trying to explain Uh, what he is uh, admonishing the Pharisees about. It says, The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Well, the disciples weren't washing their hands before they eat. It's what the Pharisees were complaining about. Well, verse 3, Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And so Jesus is admonishing these Pharisees for creating their own man-made religion, their own man-made traditions, and trying to hold the people to those standards. And in verse 7, Jesus says, You hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do not worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so... He drives the point home again in verse 11. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Verse 14, he says, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a pit. And so teachers can easily lead people astray. Verse 16, he's trying to explain what this means to the disciples. He says, are you still also without understanding? Do you not see what whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles a person. Again, our belief is what's going to drive our behavior. And so if we believe something in our heart, that's what we're going to be speaking. And so we can't say one thing and do another. As the disciples, we're trying to understand what Jesus has given this picture of what the Pharisees were trying to do, moving away from God's law into a man-made tradition. And then Matthew 12, you have another great picture of this point being driven home here by Jesus. In verse 34, he's speaking to the Pharisees again here. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you've seen a pattern here so far and just trying to understand James chapter 3, it really comes down to a heart issue. It comes down to a heart issue for every single one of us. And if you've ever been curious about your heart condition, not physically, but spiritually, have you thought about 
how healthy you really are. So if you could put a mic on you, like a wired mic, and record yourself for a week and go back and listen to it, do you think you would want to listen to what you were saying? To listen to how much you were building up or how much you were tearing down, how much you were actually investing positive things or investing negative things? If we went back and actually played back what we said for one week. So we know that we talk a lot. We know that we stumble in our ways which means that we need our hearts cleansed often, don't we? We have to be reminded of who God is and who we are not. And so a great picture of this is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 4 through 7 and 8 through 9. It's Isaiah putting God in the proper place in his heart before he can speak to the people. And it's a beautiful passage. So look at verse 4 with me. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And he said... And I said, I'm sorry, woe is me. This is Isaiah saying, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah is identifying himself with his people while he's standing in the presence of God in the throne room. Like what great awareness. So before he can go speak for God, uh, to the people on God's behalf, like he has to realize who he is. Like he is a broken man, a sinner in need of the saving grace of God. Okay? He has to realize that his heart is far from the Lord and he has to get close and near to God to get his heart cleansed and purified before he can go speak. It's like, what a beautiful picture. Verse six, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say this to the people. And so for us, when we see this passage, you see Isaiah knowing like I'm a man of unclean lips and woe is me. And he's in the presence of a holy God. But before he can go speak to the people for God, he had to get his heart right and he had to get his mind and his heart pure, have his sins atoned for before he can go speak to the people on God's behalf. He knew his condition of his heart. So for you and me, when we think about this, getting our heart right, like we're not a prophet speaking for God for the people. Okay, we're not a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. So like how, how do we be reminded of what it means for us to go speak in a way that honors the Lord? Well, 1 Peter 2.9 is a great passage for that. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Friends, we've been bought with a price, amen? We are not our own. And so when we go speak, as we claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, as we go speak, we are called to speak and proclaim the excellencies of Christ where we go, okay? We have to die to ourselves. We have to be reminded that we are in a, have an audience of one, that woe is me, we are a person of unclean lips, but God is our creator, he's our author and perfecter, okay? He's our savior, he's our judge, and when we put ourselves in that position of, of here I am, but here you are, God, and I am nobody, you are the only person that I'm serving, you are Lord, I am not, 
when we remove ourselves from any authoritative, anything that is reminding us that we might have some sense of power, our arrogance, our pride, our selfishness, anything that is dishonoring to the Lord, we remove that and we become on our knees in front of a holy God and we're reminded of who he is and who we are not. Then we are reminded that when we open our mouth and when we speak, we can proclaim the excellencies of Christ to others. And we're reminded of who we are and who we are, or who God is and who we are not. And without doing that, we can open our mouths and be foolish and say things that are dishonoring to the Lord and dishonoring to others because we are forgetting our place in life. James continues here with three great illustrations and three great things that we all can see with our eyes because we've seen them and we know about them. And he compares those three small things that have great power to one small thing on our mouth, our tongue, that has great power. And so follow me in verse 3. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So bits and rudders, they're small into the relation of much larger things, yet they provide great control. They provide control against opposing forces. So just think of the nature of a wild horse. Think of how strong they are and how uncontrolled they are until they have been tamed to be able to put a bridle and a halter on, then be trained to be ridden by a rider. Think about that process. Think about how difficult that is and how much power that is to be controlled by one small thing. And think about the strong winds and currents of an ocean and a small rudder that's steering this mighty ship. And then compare that to our sinful nature, that our sinful flesh, how we want to respond to circumstances in uncontrolled ways, that it, our tongue is such a small thing, but we can respond in ways that, um, against opposing forces that are con controlled, um, that are so difficult to control for us that we can speak with our tongue in, um, in ways that are malicious. Look at the potential danger of, of a bit and a rudder. And so they affect the lives of others, don't they? Like, if you don't know what you're doing on a horse, you can harm the horse, harm yourself, or harm somebody else, can't you? And what about a ship? If you're not steering the ship correctly, you're going to either crash it, run into something, sink. Um, you could overturn it. You could lose cargo. You can lose people. Like, you have to know how to use that, even though it's small. So, verse 5 speaks of something after we get these illustrations. It says, So also the tongue is small, remember, yet it boasts in great things. So think about, even though our tongue is small, but think about small words that we can say that have great meaning. What about just the simple a yes and a no? Look at it from a parent form or in a marriage form. So when you say yes or no to your child or to your spouse, whatever you're saying that to, that can either lead in a great direction or that can lead in a negative direction. What about guilty or not guilty? These are small words that have great meaning, don't they? But once you speak it, it's hard to take it back, isn't it? Like, this is a word that has great power, great meaning, but it's so small. He continues to give us one great picture of another thing that is so destructive comparing to our tongue. And it's a forest fire. Um, verse 5b, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. I did some research and I found this really cool fact about just uh, a fire. It was in Northern California. It's the second largest fire in California's history. And a rancher started this fire by hammering a large metal stake into the ground, trying to plug a hornet's nest. That sounds pretty redneck, doesn't it? That sounds like something I would do. Hornet's nest, hole, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this. 
And so he, he drives this metal stake with this large hammer, causes a spark, small fire gets out of control, ends up burning for 160 days, three firefighters injured, one killed, 459,000 acres burned, 280 structures destroyed, $257 million in damages, and $201 million of fire suppression costs were spent out of one small spark. So compare that to one word that we can speak that could cause so much damage. And it's really hard to take that word back, isn't it? It's the toothpaste illustration that you've heard so many times. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube once it squeezes out. And it's just so impactful the way we use our words and it causes so much destruction. James continues to further develop the destructive nature of our tongue as we continue to read starting in verse six. He gives us four phrases here that we're gonna break down. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staying in the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So let's first look at world of unrighteousness that our tongue is reminded of. And so I can't help but think of recalling James chapter 1, verse 19, uh, where it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so our anger does not produce righteousness. It produces unrighteousness when we speak. And so if we're speaking maliciously or speaking things that are tearing down and not building up, our tongue is a world of unrighteousness. If you're taking notes, you can write down Proverbs 10, 19 and 20, which is a great passage that speaks with this. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, and the heart of the wicked is of little worth. I love that word prudent. I think we need to use it more and be reminded of what it means. It means to, to look ahead, to say, hey, if I say this, this might happen. If I say this, this is going to make the person feel this way. It's looking ahead. It's gaining wisdom of how impactful your words may be before you speak them. Um, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. Friends, when we speak life, when we speak encouragement, when we speak positive things, it has great value. But when we open our mouths and speak foolishness, it is worth nothing. Romans 3, 13 through 14 speaks again against unrighteous talk from our tongues. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips and their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Friends, I don't know if you've ever been stung by an asp, but this time of the year, I'm always looking for them because as a kid, I got stung by one. And it uh, looks like, kind of like a fuzzy caterpillar. You can look it up later. But anyway, long story short, like it burns for a long time, like a flame on your skin. And it's just this text reminds me of like people say things that are mean, don't they? And they can say things that are hurtful. And it burns and it hurts for a long time. The next phrase that he uses in verse 6 when he says staining the whole body, that word for body is your body, your physical body. And um, Ephesians 4.29 reminds us that let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Like, how easy is it for us to speak in a way that before we speak, we're not being prudent. And after we speak it, we realize what I just said was not building up. And it did not give grace to those who heard what I just said. So this is a great passage to just follow up and be reminded of when we use our words, may we not let any corrupting talk come out of our mouths. Ephesians 5, 4 says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. So I love this passage because it just reminds me of 
How easy is it at the workplace to get caught up in coarse joking and foolish talk? And at first you're like, man, that, you know, you got to get sucked into it sometimes. And then you kind of laugh with the joke, but you realize it was talking about somebody's wife or it was inappropriate or it was sexual. And you're like, man, I got sucked into that and I laughed with them. But then you realize you probably shouldn't have done that. And it's everywhere, isn't it? Like it just happens. So a really good friend of mine that I'm in community with, he has this great picture of how he is combating against foolish talk in the workplace and coarse joking. And he'll have guys at work come up to him and he'll say, um, they'll say a joke and he'll go, man, tell me something I can tell my kids. Like, isn't that a great way to come back at that? I'm like, not only is it inappropriate for his mind and his heart to be distracted and to be hindered in his walk with the Lord, but it's also like, hey, tell me something I can tell my kids. Because if it's worth listening to and you think it's funny, may it be valuable that I can go home and share it with my family. And so that was a great, um, great thing to be reminded of, of a good friend of mine. But when, when Paul says to the church in Ephesus at the end of verse uh, 4 of chapter 5, which he says, these things are out of place. Like, why are they out of place? Like, we need to remind ourselves, like, why is this wrong? Like, why is this out of place. Well, because you're created in the image of God. Like if we're created in the image and the likeness of God and our behavior should model our belief. So when we get caught up in coarse joking and foolish talk and we join in or we're the ones starting it, like you're staining the body when you do that. You're staining the bride of Christ, not only your body, but you're staining the bride of Christ and you're not being an image bearer. You're conforming to the patterns of the world and not conforming to the image of Christ and his likeness. And it's just a dangerous place to be. He continues on. He says, set on fire the entire course of life. Just talking about the potential of the destructive nature of our tongue. Benjamin Franklin has a quote. He says, a slip of the foot you may soon recover, but a slip of the tongue you may never get over. We should equate not only our words that we speak, but the words that we type, shouldn't we? Because we may type some things that we would never say out loud, but our typed words are just as impactful as the words that we speak on a social media platform or through a text message or through an email. He continues to break down. He said, set on fire by hell. And so I love this passage here because the word hell that James uses is Gehenna, which is our future judgment place, but also it is uh, originally called the Valley of Hinnom, which was south of Jerusalem where they would burn dead animals and they would burn trash. And so you imagine the stain of the landscape south of Jerusalem of just a pile, a dump ground of dead animals and trash burning, not only just the smell, but the picture of that. And so when the original audience read this and they heard this, they were instantly reminded of Gehenna, a giant pile of dead animals and trash burning in reference and correlation to a filthy language coming out of somebody's mouth. What a great way to be reminded of things that we say that don't honor the Lord, of being compared to a pile of dead animals and trash burning, not only the smell, but the view of it. And so as we continue in verse seven, he says, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison, With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. James doesn't say that this can happen or that we may bless or we may curse. He's saying we do these things. It's like you're doing these things to the people in 
that he's writing to, but also for us. This is something that we all struggle with, isn't it? Verse 11 and 12 says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. May we not say one thing and be another, my friends. It's not, doesn't work in nature and it shouldn't work with us. It just doesn't make sense. Proverbs 18.21 is a great passage for this. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat of its fruits. Again, we have an opportunity to speak life, don't we? Or to speak death when we open our mouths. Figuratively, think about this. And so as we talk about the tongue being a restless evil, what about our reputations? Think about it figuratively. Our reputations, like, have you ever went to fill out a job application and you needed to put a resume together, but you were afraid that you would write down references that they might call because they didn't have anything good to say about you? Like, other people's words about you are important too, aren't they? Like, what type of reputation are you making in the culture that we live in with your words, whether it be typed or a spoken word? What about our relationships and marriages and friendships and even parenting? I shared with the first service, like, this passage, just studying this for me, myself, just to prepare my heart to be able to present it to you has been challenging because, you know, I thought marriage was hard. Like, parenting, like, my goodness. Like, I, I had to seek forgiveness for my son on our right here this morning because I'm like, there's been times that in my irritation and in my um, either being tired or frustrated or stressed, like, I can be snappy. I can have a tone when I don't need to have a tone. And it's not building up. It's tearing down. And by God's grace, I have a loving wife that this January been married 19 years. And by God's grace, she helps me. And she reminds me, like, hey, honey, when the kids go to bed, this isn't the time to get on their case. When they wake up in the morning, it's not the time to get on their case. That's a time that they need to let their mind rest and to be able to understand, like, to break down their day and not to go to bed frustrated because you just got onto them. Or when they wake up, it's not the time to come to them to admonish them about something that happened. They need to be able to wake up with peace and have a, have a mind that's open to the day and not to be waking up to a frustration. There's certain times and places that you need to admonish the children. That's something I struggle with. And so, but by God's grace, she helps me. And so, but the way we use our words in our marriage, in our parenting, our relationships, we have to be prudent. I think that's my new favorite word. We have to be prudent and wise the way we not only use our words, but, but when and how we use our words. Think about what our children were told and even what we were told as little kids. We said, hey, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. How foolish is that? Like, that is such a lie. I remember things that happened in third and fourth grade that people spoke to me that I still remember because it hurt, didn't it? It was like the burning of an asp on my skin. It hurt. And I can still remember distinctly what they said and how it made me feel when they said it. And so think about even the teenage suicide rates and the statistics that come with that on the ridicule that happened from words that broke people down that people attacked them with words and it broke them down where they forgot their identity. They didn't even know who they were and they felt worthless. Like our words have so much meaning and so much impact. Not only the way we 
build people up for positive things, but so easily our culture tends to go to the downward spiral side of that, don't they? There's less building up and more tearing down in our culture, especially in our younger kids. As I'm trying to wrap this up, I want to focus on just not only the speaker, um, as James mentioned, teachers, but just correlating for us as we are all called to proclaim the excellencies of Christ and we're all called to speak. We're not called to be silent. We're called to speak. We can't go proclaim the excellence of Christ. We can't go share the good news of Christ. We can't go make disciples. We can't pray with people without speaking. So as we speak, think about the question I want you guys to answer is, who does God use? Like, who does God use? Does he need great orators? Because I promise you, I'm not a great orator. Like, God just wants you to be what? He wants you to be obedient and faithful, doesn't he? God wants to be you to be faithful. Let's look at some faithful people in our Bible. So Moses, Exodus 4.10, we see Moses and God having this conversation. He says, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech and of tongue. God's reply is, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. How many times have you made an excuse when you needed to step up and do something that you know it was right, but you had a reason that you couldn't? Because you weren't leaning on God, you were leaning on your own understanding, on your own strengths. Paul, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 4 through 5. I did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but power of God. Like, Paul didn't come with fine-sounding, profound opinions of men or himself. He came in the power of the Spirit of God, a former blasphemer and persecutor of the church, but he had an encounter with Christ, which changed his life. One of the greatest missionaries that we've ever known wrote over half the New Testament because he had an encounter with Christ. So when we have an encounter with Christ, that should change our behavior, shouldn't it? No human being can tame the tongue, including Paul. So who tames it? God does, doesn't he? When we allow him, when we put him in the proper place in our life. So when we not only speak, but everywhere that our feet take us, if we're reminded of of who we're not and who he is, and we keep our mind focused on the author and perfecter of our faith and our creator and our savior, it helps us when we speak to be more prudent and wise. And the things that come out of our mouth are more building up and less tearing down. Men came to tame animals and fire for that matter. You can tame an animal and you could get a worker instead of a destroyer. You could tame a flame and you can get power. No man can tame the tongue, but it doesn't have to be set on fire by hell. So anytime that we speak malicious, anytime that we tear down, anytime that we speak negative, we are compared to setting on fire by hell with our words. But we can be set on fire by heaven with our words, can't we? So may we speak words that lift people up, that point people to Christ, and that honor the Lord. We see a great picture at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
and 12 uneducated men turn the world upside down. So friends, as we are uneducated people, as we are merely broken people, as we are merely, woe is me, I am a person of unclean lips, as Isaiah said. May we trust the Lord and his guidance in our life. And may we, may we go out and proclaim the excellencies that he's called us to with our tongues. We'll close with this, a practical takeaway that we can start using. Warren Wearsby calls it the 12 words that can transform your life. As simple as they are, say them often and mean them every time. Please, thank you, I'm sorry, I love you, and I'm praying for you. How often do we say those words just to end a conversation, just to start another one? Or end a conversation just because we're tired of listening to somebody or we're tired of talking? Or how often do we say, I'm praying for you, and don't really do it? When we say things to people, when we speak things, may there actually be weight to our words, and may it not just float away in thin air. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Our words are called to build people up as we proclaim the excellency of Christ. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to start making their way up as I read um, Philippians 4, 8. And so, friends, uh, this passage helps me be prudent. This passage helps me um, protect what goes into my eyes, my ears, my mind, and my heart. This passage helps my wife and I protect what comes into our home. Um, it's a great life filter. Uh, just as we filter water to purify it so it's healthy to our body, this passage is a filter for myself and our family to protect what comes into our family. And it helps me be prudent with my words. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Friends, if our eternity has been changed, then so should our mouth. May we stop saying that we are a freshwater pond and we have salt water, which is useless. May we stop saying that we're a fig tree and we bear olives. May we practice what we preach. May we live a life that's honoring to the Lord where we can proclaim the excellencies of Christ. But that only happens when we put God in his proper place and we're reminded of who we are because we were, woe is me, a person of unclean lips. All fall short of the glory of God. There's nothing good in us apart from Jesus Christ. And when we wake up every day and we put God in his proper place and we realize that we are nobody and he is somebody, when we speak utterance, when we speak words, they speak life and not death. They are the balm of Gilead to those that are broken. They are the balm of Gilead that those who need encouragement. They are the balm of the Gilead that goes that are fighting through cancer or marriages that are on the mend or kids that are in the hospital. People need the balm of Gilead. People need you to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And you cannot do that unless you put God in his proper place in your life. May your words be a sweet honeycomb 
to those that need to hear it. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you, Father, for this word. I thank you, Father, for just how it just reminds me of that I'm just a broken man that needs you every day. And the moment that I think that I'm somebody and I forget who you are, or the moment that I think that I am in some position that I put myself in that you didn't, or the moment that I feel like I have it all together and I take my eyes off of you, the one that holds all things together, Father, I can open my mouth and I can be foolish. My words can be poison. My words can bring death. My words can even be asp on the skin that burns. But Father, I pray that I never take my eyes off of you and that my words would be the balm of Gilead and they would be a sweet honeycomb to those that need to hear it. And if I speak for one-fifth of my lifetime, I don't want to be reminded of just a grumpy old man that gripes at people all the time. I want to be reminded of a husband and a father that, that spoke life into my family, that left a legacy of words that built up and words that encouraged. Jesus, thank you. I pray that my friends in the room that heard this passage today, I pray that they would be doers and not hearers, that it would shape and change their life in a way that their marriage would look different and their parenting would look different. Their workplace would look different in conversations. That they would be prudent with their words and be wise to allow what allows come to their eyes and their ears and their family. That it would be building up and bring life into their bones. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name I pray.